Thank you, Mindy, for that powerful prayer. Uh, we're blessed to have you lead us in that most intimate way as we've come before God. I like the fact that you call this the worship center because indeed uh, worship is the center of our lives with God. And that's why we take the energy to do this on a regular basis. So it's great to be with you this morning and I think it might be helpful to share with you a little bit about the context of our sermon passage. I know that you're having guest preachers so everything's kind of a one-off for you during this time. We're going to be preaching and listening from John in the later chapters. And if we back up from the text, we're going to look at John chapter 20. We find the disciples hiding out. They're hiding out in Jerusalem during the days following the crucifixion. And Jesus says to them, hey, you know, I got this. Peace be with you. As my father has sent me, so I send you. And yet, before he sends them out, he does the most important thing of all, I think. He breathes on them the Holy Spirit. And he gives us powerful instruction. He says, if you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven. And if you retain the sins of any, if you hold stuff against people, they're retained. There's a reality of how we treat people in this world. And so, Jesus empowers and commissions his disciples not just for some meager little purpose but for a world-changing purpose and he gives them this advocate the spirit who will not just only come alongside them as a great companion but will empower them from the inside out sometimes we kind of think is that my conscience or what's nudging me in this direction or what's giving me hope in this bleak situation so he gives them a spirit that binds them to him so that they might become God's agents of forgiveness and reconciliation. You see, if love is the name of the game, and I believe it is, then Jesus commissions his disciples to care about the things that he cares about and to do the things that he taught them to do. But just a chapter later, that's not where we find the disciples. At the end of chapter 21, for whatever reason, we find that they've gone back to fishing to what they were comfortable with before they'd ever met Jesus. And there they are on the Sea of Galilee, which is also known as the Sea of Tiberias, and they've been fishing all night and they haven't caught even one fish. And so as the sun rises, the Lord appears to them on the shore and he notices that their nets are empty so he calls out to them, hey, cast your nets on the other side of the boat and you'll, you'll find some. And then the disciples, once they do that, they catch so many fish, they're unable even to haul the nets in. Well, this isn't the disciples' first fishing trip and certainly not the first time they've seen a miracle on the shores of Galilee. And one of the disciples turns to Peter and he says, it's the Lord. And true to form, Peter jumps out of the boat and swims 100 yards to shore. That's just kind of part of his personality. He, he liked to jump to do things. And so there on the beach is Jesus. He's got this little fire going. He's got some fish and bread sitting there. And 
he says, hey, bring some of the fish that you've caught and we'll add it to the fish and bread I have. And so this is where we meet our sermon text this morning. There's this kind of communion of sorts where Jesus is sitting around the fire with his disciples. So listen to the word of God as it comes to us from John chapter 21, 15 through 19. When they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Peter said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said to him, feed my lambs. A second time, Jesus said to Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And Peter said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said to him, tend my sheep. Jesus said to Peter the third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And Peter felt hurt because he said to him the third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. And Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. Very truly, I tell you, when you were younger, you used to fasten your own belt and to go wherever, wherever you wished. But when you grow old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will fasten a belt around you and take you where you do not wish to go. Jesus said this to indicate the kind of death by which Peter would glorify God. After this, he said to him, follow me. Let us pray. O God of yesterday, today, and tomorrow, be our teacher. Open our ears to your word and transform our wills so that we might follow you with the whole of our lives. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. I remember what it was like the days after our family lost my father to his battle with cancer. He lived such a generous, noble life filled with integrity and kindness, and he was this amazing dad. He would literally give you the shirt off his back and the shoes off his feet, which was kind of a difficult thing for him because he had five boys who grew up to be about the same size as he did. And so whenever we had need of any article of clothing, we'd go to his closet and pull it out. And yet he was always so loving and saying, oh, you know what? Go ahead, take it. So in the days after we lost him, it felt like the earth had kind of tilted off of its axis. You know, he was the sort of person you just wanted to follow because you knew if you did that good things were going to come of it. You ever been around people like that? They say, hey, let's do this. And you go, okay, you don't even know what this is, you know? He was that kind of person. And I believe the love of a good parent, whether of adopted children or biological ones, is as deep as any love there is, which I, I think is the reason why Jesus used familial terms all the time to describe his closest relationships. Of course, in the Old Testament, we see we see the faithful raising prayers to the Father, but Jesus called his disciples children, as if to say, there's no greater love than I can have for you than I already have. 
And so at this moment, when Jesus is about to ascend to his father, it must have felt to the disciples like they were losing a parent, but not just any parent, the best parent you could possibly imagine. And therefore, I can't imagine what it felt like to be Peter when Jesus asked him, not just once, but three times, do you love me? This encounter intrigues me because the last time I remember Peter standing next to a charcoal fire, it was in the courtyard of the high priest, and Jesus was being interrogated and beaten without cause, and Peter was there warming himself by the fire, and he was asked three times if he was a disciple, and each time he denied it. And then that was the very same night that Peter showed what he was still made of. Remember, he took out a sword, and when someone came to arrest Jesus, slave of the high priest, he cut off his ear. This is how the world works. <laughs> I can take out a sword if I need to. And Jesus said, no, you put that away. That's not our kingdom. That's not what we're about. And so he had to put it away. Also, the St. Peter said, I will lay down my life for you. And then he abandons Jesus at his time of need. So this other fire, this charcoal fire, where Peter's sitting there on the shore, and Jesus asked him, do you love me? It just makes me want to cringe. Because if my father just asked me once, I would be so ashamed. And yet, on this, this shore of Galilee and this breakfast moment, this communion of sorts, this fire of betrayal, certainly in Peter's memory, becomes a f the fire of forgiveness once again, that the stuff of our lives, like the, the darkness of our lives, is forgiven by a God who outruns even our darkness through his grace. And so this is a do-over moment, this encounter, this conversation that he's having with Jesus. Because three years earlier, Jesus came to Peter and others and said, follow me. And immediately, Peter is the first in line. He drops his nets and he, he says, okay, I will. And then Jesus says, who do people say that I am? And Peter's the first one to answer, you are the Messiah, the son of the living God. Not having really too much deep meaning about what that actually meant. And so now... Jesus asks Peter, do you love me? And Peter does what he seems to always do. He answers the question without thinking of the deeper meaning of the question. And yet Jesus still calls him, wavering, impetuous Peter, to follow him. This interaction, when I read it, comes as good news to me. Because to me, it is comforting to know that Jesus isn't looking for perfect followers and certainly not followers who love him perfectly. He's looking for ordinary people who are willing to live in his grace and share that grace, whatever we receive with others around us. I find it fascinating that Jesus never commands his disciples, and I've looked over and over in the Gospels, to worship him. But over and over again, he calls his disciples to follow him. Did Peter love Jesus? I think so. But maybe that's not the point. Maybe the point is more that Jesus accepts this wavering, fragile love of Peter and then calls him to life of caring for others and feeding Jesus' sheep. 
So when it comes to Jesus, I'm not sure anyone can know what they're getting into when they choose to follow them. How could Peter imagine the healings he would see, the forgiveness that would unbind people from their shame and guilt, how the powers and principalities of the world would be toppled by a message of peacemaking and reconciliation when the sword worked so well, it seemed. Or even more of a surprise, how could Peter have guessed that Jesus would use the likes of him to start this movement that we call the church. And here we are, hybrid worship service, still in that movement. So in this last encounter with the risen Lord on the shores of Galilee, Jesus calls Peter to new things that he can't possibly understand or imagine. In just a matter of months, thousands of people would join the way. That's what it's called in the book of Acts, the way. People would join the way in response to his words, his preaching. He would pray for sick and paralyzed people, and they'd jump up, and they'd walk. We prayed for someone today who needs healing, the worship leader here. And God would use him to introduce the world's saviors to the Gentiles, those outside of the Jewish faith. Peter may have begun as a fisherman, but Jesus called him to fish for people, their hearts, their relationships, their engagement with the community around him, around them. And by calling Peter to care for his sheep, Jesus nudges Peter one step further on the journey of discipleship. So I suppose if we ever wonder what it looks like to love Jesus, Perhaps the best place to start is just caring for those around us, feeding his sheep. I notice that the question that Jesus asks Peter is not, um, do you love me? Not the first one. He says, do you love me more than these? (laughs) I think that must mean his buddies sitting around that fire, a belly full of fish and bread. Peter ostensibly had a pretty good life. He could have gone back to what he was doing before he met Jesus in the second encounter with him. It had a lot of attractive qualities to it. But Jesus says, no, follow me in this world-redeeming, shalom-producing way of life. As a Presbytery co-executive, which seems pretty abstract, to most of you, by the way, I was a pastor in a church for 21 years, so I did do that. But working in a region of 44 congregations and five new worshiping communities, I get to see what's in the life of these people and what they do to follow Jesus into a changing world. And I've been amazed at how when the pandemic struck back in February, March, a year ago, how our churches, who people always question, can the church really change? They've always done the same things that they've always done before. They changed pretty darn quickly to putting their physical gatherings online and meeting in digital spaces. And so I've heard these reports that there are new audiences. People are worshiping from other states with their congregations. They're doing small group studies and book studies. And it's kind of a multiplication, really, of, of ministry in some ways. And it's not lost on me. All the disciples, the faithful people like you who persevere to care for the poor and marginalized in society 
through things like his house and solidarity. And these ministries continue because people like you have the heart to feed Jesus' sheep. You see, that's what it, that's the, at the heart of what it means to be a disciple. It means to be a learner who follows a teacher. Not only just with, okay, I understand what you're saying, but I'm doing what you have done and what you're calling me to do. And that involves our bodies, it involves our attitude, it involves the way we treat each other, it involves our money. Sometimes learning and following a teacher means unlearning practices and preferences that we had one time ago. I mean, I get pretty used to the things I get used to. <laughs> I do. Because they fed me for a season and now we're called into this murky season of what's gonna feed me now? Or better yet, how is it going to empower me to feed others? And so this is the moment where we're questioning, you know, what helps us connect with our neighbors? Am I ignoring their suffering? How things land on them differently than they land on me? And sometimes it just means experimenting with new things that we've never tried before and doing them over and over again until we get good at them. You can't, you don't do things, not even with your attitude, you don't do it right the first time. You gotta have the transforming work of the Holy Spirit that Jesus has given us so that our attitudes can be changed. And you've done so much work as a church family. I, I look at your website and I hear stories about you to be a community for the larger community, your partnerships with Kramer Middle School and the bridge ministry and his house that I've already mentioned and all of this to be this community for others. You see, a lot of congregations just merely aspire to reflect the neighborhoods in which they minister, but you've been making concrete sacrificial steps to be the church for all the people and all the cultures that live around your campus and who Jesus would call your neighbors. And so in this way, you're embodying, you are embodying the love and justice of Jesus Christ in a multicultural context. And no doubt your walk with Christ has been enhanced by the stories and testimonies of people whose lives have been transformed by your compassion and hospitality. None of that happens without leaders and disciples that realize Faith requires leaving former things behind and reaching for the new things that Christ has in store for his followers. Trusting God to provide in the spaces where we feel most anxious and insecure. I've talked to so many pastors recently, and what's on their minds is like, how do we move into this hybrid space? Well, well some of our people love being together physically as I do. I'm an extrovert, so I want to be in the room with you but where others feel nurtured, super nurtured, primarily to learn what they learn, to connect with people through electronic media. And so when I talk to these pastors, this is, they're not supposed to worry, but they're a little worried about how this hybrid church thing is going to go. There's one thing to adapt all of their followings or their gatherings to a digital space, but it's a completely different thing when you're trying to do these 
like basically kind of two different groups of people that you didn't have before. So with Peter on the shore of Galilee, I think it's natural to be wondering what our future holds. And perhaps that's why Jesus gives this enigmatic kind of saying to Peter in this encounter, when you're younger, you used to fasten your own belt and go wherever you wished. But when you grow old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will fasten a belt around you and they will lead you where you do not wish to go. He's naming the life that Peter had before he met Jesus and trusted him. And he was comfortable, you know, calling all the shots and and making the decisions. And yet being in control has a downside. It 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 can become an impediment to following Jesus and caring for his sheep. And so we find ourselves in this strange moment of history when we're faith with faced with so many unknowns, and it's easy to feel like Peter being led around by a belt of invisible forces, but Jesus is calling people of faith to stay close to him regardless of the cost. At the end of this encounter, Jesus tells Peter that following him is going to require quite a bit of sacrifice, and so he presents to Peter the paradox of discipleship that Jesus teaches about in other places many times. To save your life, you must lose it. And only through losing your life will you save it. Like Peter, we can say three times, we can say a hundred times that we love Jesus. But perhaps the most important thing we can do is keep caring for his lambs and feeding his sheep in all the ways that each of us are called to do. I don't tell this story too often, but my wife is someone who struggled with autoimmune disorders for 20 years, and only recently has she been going outside the house. There are so many complications with her health, but we, we, it's not a COVID dog, because we got it three years ago, but we got a dog about three years ago. And this dog is, has really changed my wife's life. So she goes to the dog park, And every time she goes, she meets another person with another dog, and she gets part of their life. And it's kind of become a ministry to her because you can expect her at these places. And when she goes, she has in mind that these people need the love of Jesus too. And they come there with real needs, and maybe they don't have anyone to listen to them. And so she's there feeding her sheep in her way. So thankfully, as Jesus did with Peter, Jesus sees into our hearts and accepts our efforts to love. We don't have to be perfect. We just need to put one foot in front of the other as we follow Jesus into a changing world as unknown and as risky as that may be. So we end today the way we began, hearing the words of Jesus. As my Father has sent me, so I send you. But above all, follow me. Let us pray. God, we thank you for your word. We thank you that you do not pull any punches when it comes to what it takes to follow you. Thank you for being a good Lord 
And thank you for modeling what it looks like to have faith in a father who you have the most intimate relationship with and then invited us to as well. God, where we have doubts about what we have to offer others, I pray that you would overcome those because you're a God who has poured your spirit into us. And so bless us now as we continue our worship and as we seek to follow you into the world. In Jesus' name, amen.